America's number one show on pop culture and politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth where a great question scares people on the Democratic side of the equation. What's the question? What if Joe Biden doesn't run after all? I mean, everything is built around Joe Biden. The party is united behind him. There seems to be nothing he can do to dump Kamala Harris, as sensible as that might be. But what if it doesn't work out and he decides, well, no, or he has a medical emergency? This is not unheard of for somebody who's uh, 80. It happens. And uh, Joe Biden doesn't run. Then is Bernie Sanders the best suggestion? He's even older than Biden. But Juan Williams of Fox News says that he's the obvious candidate if Biden doesn't run. We'll talk to Juan Williams coming up on the Michael Medved Show. We'll also be speaking a little bit later to a friend of mine named Carl Zinsmeister, who has been reporting from Serbia, the Republic of Georgia, and Iraqi Kurdistan, where there are former members of the U.S. Special Forces who are fighting for liberty. And fighting for liberty, how? By opposing tyrannical regimes like Russia and China. Uh, we will speak with Carl Zinsmeister about the eyewitness reaction to what's going on there. There's also a statement, uh, just a press conference that just concluded with the two military leaders of the United States, the uh, Secretary of Defense, who's also a general in the Army, Lloyd Austin, and uh, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, he's outgoing in that position, but General Mark Milley, they're talking about the situation in Ukraine, and they had some things that everybody needs to hear. There's also a, a discussion in the Washington Post about the real fight between DeSantis and Trump, and they have an article that says it's all about personality, not policy. We will get to that as well on the Michael Medved Show. 1-800-955-1776. Your ability to call is just waiting for you to pick up the phone. And meanwhile, there is this story, and it's one of those things. It was the first story I read this morning when I got up, and I get up early. And and I read this, and I thought it was The Onion. I, I really thought this must be a joke. The headline is, San Francisco Reparations Panel Suggests Debt Elimination and $1 Homes. Listen to this. This is a piece that is reported by Janie Har for Associated Press. Dateline San Francisco, payments of $5 million to every eligible black adult. That means... $10 million per couple. The elimination of personal debt, all personal debt, not just student debt, everything. And uh, tax burdens also eliminated. Guaranteed annual income at at least $97,000 per individual, not household, per individual. And that would last for 250 years. Okay, Can you think of what this means? 250 years of being guaranteed, that means you and your children and your 
children's children, your great-grandchildren, your great-great-grandchildren going on, I mean, forever. The country has barely been around for 250 years. But 97 grand paid in, and, and that's adjusted up for inflation as inflation goes forward. And there, there would be homes provided for just $1 per family. That's for purchase, not rental. These were some of the original ideas, more than 100 recommendations, made by a city-appointed reparations committee tasked with a thorny question of how to atone for centuries of slavery and systemic racism. And the San Francisco Board of Supervisors, hearing the report for the first time yesterday, voiced enthusiastic support for the ideas listed with some saying uh, money should not stop the city from doing the right thing. Of course not. Why? Because it's not their money. It's your money if you're a taxpayer in San Francisco. The, um, the calculation, which doesn't appear anywhere in this article until the very end, the calculation is that every individual in San Francisco to pay for this would have to cough up 600 grand. Now, how, how that is even possible when most people don't have life savings of 600 grand, where this money is going to come from is unknown. But the Board of Supervisors voted on these proposals, unanimous approval. No, it's not a joke. It, it is San Francisco. And by the way, this is, as the article makes clear, spreading across the country. It's already happened in Evanston, Illinois, a very wealthy suburb of Chicago. It's also a university town. That's where Northwestern University is. And um, it's uh, also Boston just set up its own uh, reparations commission to figure out what exactly they should do and how many millions they should give and to whom. Money should be no concern. That's what the supervisors said. Several supervisors said they were surprised to hear pushback from politically liberal San Franciscans, apparently unaware of the forces keeping black Americans from economic prosperity and overrepresented in prisons and homeless populations. Look, that's one of the crazy things about this scheme, is it's not being aimed just at poor people. Apparently, based upon what has been put forward so far, and voted on by the supervisors, nothing is final, but this would go the $5 million per person to rich and poor. There's no limit. Uh, Barack Obama might not be eligible for it. Well, he wouldn't be because he didn't live in San Francisco. But if Michelle, and he's not descended, he has no ancestors who were enslaved, but Michelle Obama... <laughs> <laughs> who, who made uh, over $20 million on her last book, Michelle Obama would be available to get another $5 million if she was from San Francisco. I mean, this is insane. Those of my constituents who lost their minds about this proposal, this is from a Board of Supervisors member, Supervisor Raphael Mandelman. It said, it's, it's not something we're doing or we would do for other people. It's something we would do for ourselves, for everybody's collective future. 
His district apparently uh, includes the gay heavy, the heavily LGBTQ plus Castro neighborhood. The uh, draft reparations plan released in December is unmatched nationwide in its specificity and breadth and insanity, I could add. The committee hasn't done an analysis of the cost of the proposal, but critics have deemed the plan as financially and politically impossible. You think? Uh, An estimate from Stanford University's Hoover Institution, which leans conservative, now that's true, has said it would cost each non-black family in the city at least $600,000. Are you ready for this? Tuesday's unanimous expression of support for reparations by the board do not mean all the recommendations will ultimately be adopted as the body can vote to approve, reject, or change any or all of them. A final committee report is due in June, the middle of the campaign. You think the reparations issue is going to work well for Democrats? You think this is something Joe Biden wants to embrace? Do you think this is something the Democrats cannot tell the truth about? Which is that this is Looney Tunes and destructive and un-American and wrong? If you disagree, you can give us a call. 1-800-955-1776. Your outlet for outrage. I'm not going to drink this anymore. The Michael Medved Show. 1-800-955-1776. The Michael Medved Show. Michael Medved show. I, I know that uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene got a tremendous amount of well-deserved uh, backlash and contempt for her suggestion that we have a national divorce with the red states going one way and blue states going another way, that we break apart the United States, the Union. Uh, I, I think that's, that's crazy talk, but when you have crazy talk by the Board of Supervisors of San Francisco... And San Francisco is not the biggest city in California. It's not even the second biggest city in California. It's not even the third biggest city in California. San Diego and San Jose and L.A. are all bigger than San Francisco. But it's a big enough city to be talking about paying $5 million per individual. That's not per household. It's per adult individual. In other words, if if you're a married couple or an unmarried couple, gay or straight or whatever, because, of course, that's where we are, uh, you you get 10 million bucks. And and plus the opportunity of having all your debts canceled and a guaranteed minimum income of $97,000 a year for 250 years in your family. I, I mean, this is madness. Wilford Riley, who's going to be joining us later this week, uh, who is a a great black scholar at uh, Kentucky uh, State University, he he says it's worth noting that if reparations aren't tied specifically to slavery, Asians, Natives, Appalachians, and Irishmen all have claims easily on par with West Coast blacks. 
Now, what he's meaning about West Coast blacks, California never had slavery. Even when California was part of Mexico, Mexico didn't allow slavery. There's never been slavery of African-based people in the state of California. It never existed. Now, to, to cope with that inconvenient fact, they are saying that all you need to do is to qualify on other means. Even if you don't have an ancestor who was a slave, even if you migrated here to the United States, say, 20 years ago from Nigeria or anywhere else, you can still qualify for this if you are black. And for instance, if you were imprisoned during what they call the failed war on drugs, if you have a history of prison time for, uh, for drug offenses, then that works just as well as having been a slave or having an ancestor who was a slave. And this goes, by the way, for people whose parents or grandparents were imprisoned on drug offenses. There, there's also a way you can qualify here. If you attended public schools before they were desegregated, if you attended segregated public schools in San Francisco, and apparently there was segregation in San Francisco at some point, but if that happened, boom, five million bucks for your grandson or granddaughter's pocket. Here's the way this was uh, covered <laughs> with a little bit of tongue-in-cheek. This is, there is, for people who have never lived in California, there is some quite natural uh, rivalry between L.A. and San Francisco. This is uh, an L.A. report from uh, KTLA Channel 5. Listen. Clip six. San Francisco's bold new proposal for slave reparations. Andy Reesmeyer joining us now live. He's got that in the breaking buzz. Yes, yes, yes. Good afternoon and good evening. This is a story that has just gone wild online today. The city of San Francisco is considering an idea to pay $5 million each to black residents as reparations for slavery. It's one of 100 recommendations made by a city board which wants to address social inequities in the city. In addition to the one-time payments, they also recommend the elimination of all personal debt and tax burdens. There would be guaranteed income of at least $97,000 a year for 250 years and homes for as little as $1. Of the 50,000 black people who live in the city, it is not totally clear who would be eligible, but the group is focusing on descendants of both enslaved people and those incarcerated for drugs. But would this actually happen? Well, supervisors in the city said that they can't afford to do any more major reparation payments right now, but are interested in the idea. They could recommend any parts of it. As the AP reports, critics say the payouts don't make sense in a state and city that never enslaved black people. If it went through, one analyst said it would cost each non-black family in the city $600,000. This is separate, by the way, from the state's reparations task force created by Governor Gavin Newsom back in 2020. So would it be possible for people to get some of their reparations, the first $5 million from uh, the city of San Francisco and the second uh, chunk of reparations cash from the state of California? Here's another report on this uh, same unbelievable topic, which, by the way, is going to play a role in the presidential campaign. I mean, it has to. 
because there are serious Democrats who support this. Presumably, Gavin Newsom's going to end up supporting one form of reparations. He put together the state commission that's supposed to be investigating how much to pay and how to pay it. But uh, this is a report from ABC Channel 7 on the same topic. Listen. Happening right now, several San Francisco supervisors have expressed their commitment to reparations for the black community. The African-American Reparations Advisory Board presented a draft report today with more than 100 recommendations. There's a potential one-time lump sum payment of $5 million to those who qualify. There could also be policy changes to address the wealth gap, infant mortality rates, and mass incarceration. Okay, again, the uh, way they're addressing mass incarceration is suggesting that you get a terrific payout if uh, your parents or grandparents or you were incarcerated at one point on drug offenses. Uh, Again, some of the the details of this provided by um, the Associated Press. In San Francisco, black residents once made up more than 13% of the city's population. But more than 50 years later, they account for only 6% of the city's residents and 38% of its homeless population. Fewer than 50,000 black people still live in San Francisco, and it's not clear how many would be eligible. Possible criteria include having lived in the city during certain time periods and descending from someone incarcerated for the failed war on drugs. Uh, can, can you imagine people now, you've had someone who had a drug addiction problem and ended up in, incarcerated and, and now you put him on the wall in a frame photograph because he's responsible for your inheriting from his suffering five million bucks. Advocates say that, um, that that view, uh, critics say the payouts, it says, make no sense in a state and city that never enslaved black people. Opponents generally say taxpayers who were never slave owners should not have to pay money to people who were never enslaved. Does that make some sense? Does it uh, make some sense that America should be committed uh, right now, not based upon the past, to the defense of Ukraine? Big issue at the moment. We'll get to that coming up on The Medved Show. Michael Medved show, you will be pleased to know that there is a Republican Party in San Francisco. It does not <laughs> does not control any uh, significant citywide uh, offices, but it's there. And uh, there is a, a chairman of the San Francisco Republican Party. His name is John Dennis. He says the Republican Party does not support reparations. Period. But I do say, and he adds this, that we support a serious conversation on the topic. Now, why would the Republican Party support a serious conversation on the topic? The more conversation you have on the topic, the fewer people are going to vote for Democrats. Sorry, this is a killer issue. It is a poison pill issue. It is one that, that, by the way, 
even having a serious conversation can uh, help to divide the country in, in a horrible way. In a horrible way. Because there will be people listening to this who are hearing $97,000 a year guaranteed income for 250 years for me and my kids and uh, grandkids and, and going on in the future. Wow, that sounds pretty good. See, I don't... Uh, f first of all, the polling on reparations when it comes to actually paying money to people because you had some ancestors some time ago. And this is it goes beyond that. You don't need an ancestor. The um, other ways that you could qualify for reparations here, aside from having uh, an, an ancestor who was enslaved, uh, you would... Um, uh, need to have been born or migrated to San Francisco between 1940 and 1996 and to have lived in the city for at least 13 years. If you were ever displaced from the city by urban renewal between 1954 and 1973, well, that's $5 million per person. Uh, if you... Um, and the descendants of someone who was attending the city's public schools before they were fully desegregated, or if you were a descendant of an enslaved person. In other words, because there are so few black people in San Francisco, because only 6% of the population, I guess part of this is an attempt to build up the black population. And the idea that everything is based on race here, uh, when if you look at the history of oppression in the West Coast, Hate to say it, but Chinese people suffered worse than anybody. That Japanese people too, and Japanese people, of course, had the whole horror of internment. And then people bring up that, oh yeah, but they did reparations for internment of the Japanese. That was for people who were actually personally interned, or sometimes their children, and who could prove it. And uh, and the, the total reparations were twenty thousand dollars. That was signed into law by President Reagan uh, back in the 1980s. And it's enormously different from this idea. Th the notion that the entire country owes people millions of dollars and permanent guaranteed lifetime income uh, based upon uh, your history only encourages this, this sick American tendency which I so much hope and pray we can overcome, of trying to outdo somebody else with your tale of oppression and misfortune and unhappiness and brutality. Uh, the way that the uh, Chinese workers who were imported to build the Transcontinental Railroad, and they were, were, were abused while that was going on. By the way, and on the other side, coming from building from Nebraska uh, to the West Coast, it was largely Irish immigrants who were also terribly abused. And uh, this idea that um, uh, this is going to go forward and it has unanimous endorsement from the all-democratic San Francisco Board of Supervisors, uh, I mean, this is going to be a tough issue when President Biden is asked to comment on it. Or particularly when Kamala Harris, who after all is a former district attorney in San Francisco, she's a San Franciscan, she's actually a Berkeleyan, she was raised in Berkeley across the bay, 
But uh, when they are asked about this, what do they say? Uh, what we do say is um, uh, General Lloyd Austin, who is our Secretary of Defense, and General Mark Milley, who was the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, he, um, uh, they had a joint press conference uh, and spoke some needed words, it seems to me, about Ukraine. Uh, this from uh, General Lloyd Austin, Secretary of Defense, clip one. Above all, we're going to stay united. Together we'll help in Ukraine fight to live free. And together we're helping to show that rules matter. And together we're helping to advance our shared security in an open world of rules and rights. And uh, General Milley had similar sentiments, clip two. Ukraine has been independent since 1991 and has presented no threat whatsoever to Russia. Russia launched and has continued for over a year now a war of aggression and flagrant violation of international law. This is and remains a Russian frontal assault on the rules-based international order that has been in place for 80 years, eight decades since the end of World War II. In the face of this act of aggression, in a war of conquest, this group remains unified. NATO is united. The people of Ukraine are unyielding. They are standing steadfast in the face of the Russian onslaught. And uh, General Austin added this, clip four. Gentlemen, thank you for your time today. Uh, Secretary Austin, uh, announced and likely presidential candidates already have declared that Ukraine should not be an American priority. Uh, given that the Biden administration has <clears throat> promised to support Ukraine for as long as it takes, are you concerned that election rhetoric could undermine uh, support for Ukraine in Congress or with the American people? In terms of the importance of, uh, of Ukraine, first of all, we've, we've seen bipartisan support for, this, for providing security assistance to Ukraine uh, throughout up to this point. I expect that we'll continue to see that going forward. We've heard some senior leaders on both sides of the fence uh, uh, say that. And so I expect that that'll, we'll continue to enjoy that support. Well, you know, Dan, Ukraine matters. It matters not to just Ukraine or to the United States. It matters to the world. This is about the rules-based international order. It's about uh, one country's ability to, uh, to wake up one day and change the borders of its neighbor and annex uh, its neighbor's uh, sovereign territory. And as we've seen, countries around the world uh, don't think that's a good idea. And that's why you've, you've seen 50 countries not only come to the, you know, the initial meetings of the Ukraine Defense Contact Group, but they continue to come back and they continue to work hard to ensure that Ukraine gets everything that it needs to be successful. And, and that will remain our focus going forward. And that brings up the issue of what about the charge that the Europeans aren't paying their fair share? Uh, this is obviously, it's a war in Europe. Uh, the, the reality uh, about that, um, about European payments compared to American payments, uh, is something that the American people need to understand because this is becoming an issue that is driving a wedge right down the middle of the Republican Party and it's a shame. Uh, I mean, I think that uh, Governor DeSantis uh, is going to come to regret. He may already be regretting his extremely in 
intemperate statement where he called this a territorial dispute and not a vital interest of the United States. Uh, we will be right back with more on that and where we go from here coming up on the Medved Show. Michael Medved. Integrity, integrity, integrity. This is the Michael Medved Show. 1-800-955-1776. The Michael Medved Show. That's 1-800-955-1776. Michael Medved show there's a lot of political news today some of it very surprising uh, there's a candidacy announced for uh, Congress of the United States for the House of Representatives it's very early but a uh, brand new uh, filing for a candidacy for 2024 has just been put forward by someone you wouldn't expect would actually do that uh, we will tell you who. There's also the announcement today by Joe Exotic. Uh, and Joe Exotic, for people who watch the TV series Tiger King, is currently serving, I think it's 21 years in prison. So he's imprisoned, uh, but he has announced his candidacy for president. Uh, his platform basically is to exonerate himself. And... He says those tigers he was accused of killing that was actually mercy killing and it was totally uh, gracious and thoughtful and uh, that the charges against him of soliciting murder of Carol Baskin, who was a rival tiger exploiter, uh, didn't work. And in any event, uh, Will uh, Joe Exotic, who is... Um, proudly openly gay in fact he's admitted that he has been even after he got married to another man he was continued his romantic adventures with other people in the context of tiger wrangling uh, but in any event this is a an unconventional campaign I would say he probably will have a little bit less support than Marianne Williamson but uh, he's maybe in um, th the same the same general area. Uh, concerning uh, th this emerging campaign, the most important news, given the fact that uh, th there's been a lot of negative publicity recently about uh, Governor DeSantis, and part of that has to do with his mistake and by the way I think it's a profound mistake it's a profound mistake not just in terms of policy but in terms of politics there is no indication anywhere that the uh, majority of Republicans believe that the war between Ukraine and Russia is just a territorial dispute and that the United States has no role or no stake in it if you read the polling the support for Vladimir Putin, the approval of Vladimir Putin and his leadership of Russia has fallen from 15%, which it was a year ago before the invasion started, and it's fallen all the way down to 9%. Now, that's, that's not significant. So who is he appealing to? And, and the reason this is 
pretty, uh, deeply relevant, it seems to me, is that uh, Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin, who did such an outstanding job, and by the way, if you don't think it was an outstanding job, uh, go look at it, watch it. It was on CNN. He did a town hall about American education. And this was a Republican who can connect uh, across ideological lines, ethnic lines, uh, wealth, poverty lines. He's a, a, a Reagan-esque Republican, and that's the biggest tribute you can give to somebody. Governor Yunkin uh, announced that he will travel in April to meet mega donors in Dallas. His latest in a string of out-of-state fundraising trips that have fueled rumors he is exploring a presidential bid. It's not rumors. It's obvious. If you're going out to meet donors, mega donors, oil and hotel magnate Robert Rowling will host the Dallas reception. And given the fact that uh, right now a lot of the publicity on uh, Governor DeSantis is it's not profoundly negative, but it's, it's in other words, wiping away some of the protective coating that has surrounded his campaign so far. Everybody's always, he's the biggest challenger to Trump. Uh, this is uh, something that Adam Kinzinger had to say about why it is that uh, DeSantis may not be the right person to offer a a Trump alternative to the Republican Party. This is uh, former Congressman Kinzinger uh, speaking uh, about the Trump-DeSantis confrontation. Listen. You know, I think DeSantis's advantage right now is he's kind of like anybody that is ready to move on from Trump. He kind of gives people an out to be like, yeah, I'm still cool. I want to own the libs, but it's time to move on from Trump. The problem is I don't think DeSantis has the personality that Trump has. And as they start butting heads and going head to head, I really expect that Donald Trump will start kind of wiping the floor with Ron DeSantis in terms of that. But I think there's a real lane here for somebody that wants to be kind of a traditional conservative Republican, if you will. But unfortunately, somebody like a Ron DeSantis is just trying to be Trump-like. And uh, there was this comment uh, by another former Republican congressman. Yes, he is. He was a Republican congressman from Florida. And uh, he, uh, Joe Scarborough, and on MSNBC, Scarborough talked about what the two leading candidates for the presidency, according to all the polls, Ron DeSantis and Donald J. Trump have in common. Uh, listen, clip 18. Ron DeSantis, who is parroting <laughs> Vladimir Putin and Kremlin talking points by calling Russia's invasion yeah. of Ukraine a, quote, <clears throat> territorial dispute. That is literally ripping the pages from Kremlin uh, talking points. Exactly. Uh, and it's it's scaring the hell uh, out of out of people in the Pentagon. It's scaring the hell out of, of people in the intel community, that we actually now have two candidates who are parroting Kremlin talking points in a major political party in the United States. And uh, they report over at uh, National Journal, the hotline, uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis incurred the wrath of several leading members of his party 
Uh, and that would include Mitch McConnell, who's still in rehab. But McConnell has been extremely strong and unequivocal on support for Ukraine and has provided uh, bipartisan endorsement of that support. And by the way, people who analyze this is of the Republican caucus in the House of Representatives. It's more than two to one, probably closer to three to one pro-Ukraine and in favor of continued aid to Ukraine's struggle. Uh, but it, it says here in the National Journal that Flor Florida Governor Ron DeSantis incurred the wrath of several leading members of his party after adopting an isolationist stance to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And they say it's isolationist stance because he says it's not a vital interest of the United States. Senators John Cornyn, uh, Republican of Texas, Lindsey Graham, a Republican of South Carolina, and Marco Rubio, Republican of Florida. We played you that soundbite yesterday. All criticized DeSantis, who referred to the invasion as a territorial dispute. Former Representative Liz Cheney, Republican Wyoming, uh, lambasted the Florida governor, saying DeSantis is wrong and seems to have forgotten the lessons of Ronald Reagan. Uh, somebody who hasn't forgotten the lessons of Ronald Reagan and continues to, it seems to me, to speak the truth and to tell Americans things they need to hear is Condoleezza Rice, who just spoke at the Reagan Library. And uh, the idea that uh, the, the Republican race for president may not be as simple as a uh, A versus B binary choice uh, between DeSantis and Trump. I think that's the emerging reality. <laughs> so in this sense, I think everybody can favor a non-binary outcome. The, um, the ongoing uh, political world is also shocked to hear this. Uh, Santos files candidacy. Yes, that's right. George Santos the great pretender. Santos files candidacy papers for 2024, enabling him to raise and spend money. Uh, he still hasn't accounted for where the $700,000 came from that he put into his own last campaign. Was that the product of credit card fraud? Uh, I think that uh, uh, Congressman DeSantos, even uh, with an early announcement on his 2024 campaign, has very little prospect of winning. Would you send money to George Santos? Would, honestly, anyone out there who would send money, if you, if you would, you can give us a call and shock the multitudes in this greatest nation on God's green earth. For special discounts on history shows, check out MedvidHistoryStore.com.